Welcome to Employed, a podcast about careers, from minimum wage to six-figure incomes, high school diplomas to PhDs, you'll hear stories from different professionals, their everyday work life, and what it took to get there. Whether you're at a point of having to make a career choice, or you simply like to hear what others are passionate about, Employed is about the workers who make up our nation's economy. I'm Allie, and today we are talking about music therapy. He had a photo on his wall of him and his wife from their wedding day. Since he had dementia, he couldn't remember her name, and he would just smile because he could remember her, and he could remember the memories, but he couldn't remember her name. And I was singing the song, and as he was listening, he started to cry. Welcome, Caitlin, to the show. Thanks so much for coming on here and just kind of speaking about what you do every day. So can you just introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah. My name is Caitlin, and I am a music therapist. I work for a hospice company in San Antonio, Texas, and I went to Texas Women's University in Denton, Texas, and I received my bachelor's degree in music therapy, and I have been working in hospice for a little over six years. You went straight into working in hospice after you graduated, correct? Yes, I did an internship with this, this company in San Antonio, and I've been with them ever since. Cool. And just for our listeners, we are actually, we used to be coworkers. So I used to work alongside Caitlin and was able to witness the magic and the miracles that music therapy brings in hospice specifically. And that is why I wanted to talk to you because whenever I had spoken to, I don't know, just friends, no one knew what music therapy was. It's an amazing field. So can you kind of give a little bit of education on what music therapy is? Yeah. So music therapy can often be very difficult to understand. A lot of times people think that what I do is I'm an entertainer or I come to sing for people while they eat or just to fill an afternoon, which is an easy misconception to have. But music therapy is actually a clinical and evidence-based use of music interventions. And it's used to accomplish individualized goals with our patients and our clients to meet a specific goal. These interventions through music are aimed at increased comfort, promoting wellness, managing stress, alleviating pain, expressing feelings, and communication. Specifically for my role in hospice, when it comes to communication, my goal is to use music to guide conversations, to guide emotional expression related to my patient's journey through end of life and approaching death and to create an environment where it's easy and safe for a patient to express emotions to their loved ones, their family members, their friends, where as humans, we might not have the words to say it ourselves, but can use music to guide that. An easier way for me to say it uh, is that I'm a therapist that uses music to accomplish a clinical goal. That's a great way to put it. It really is so cool because I think most of us every day, we wouldn't think of using music as a way to alleviate those types of symptoms. But then we just think about how embedded music is into our everyday lives and in our memories and emotions. And it's just so deeply rooted. I know that you kind of touched on this at the beginning, but can you tell us the level of education and experience that's required? I know that you also have to take a board exam. So if you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, the minimum requirement is a bachelor's degree. And 
some people just get their bachelor's degree, some music therapists will progress and get their master's and doctorate and so forth. But to be a practicing music therapist, you'll, you get your bachelor's degree, which is then followed by a six-month internship. And to, to meet your qualifications to then graduate, you have to have 1,200 clinical hours. And part of those hours come from your practicum and field work during your undergraduate study. And then the rest of those hours come from the six-month internship. Once you complete your internship, you are then eligible to sit for your board exam. And our exam is given through the Certification Board for Music Therapists. And once you pass the exam, you will receive your MTBC certification credential, which is Music Therapist Board Certified. Is that a state certification or a national certification? National. I guess, what are the classes like um, during your degree? Do Do those involve guitar classes and vocal lessons, or do you kind of have to have that talent perfected before going (laughs) into this so every uh, our degree is about 60 percent music based and 40 percent psychology based so the music base covers all instruments all music therapists have a primary instrument my primary instrument is voice not every music therapist primary instrument is voice some is guitar some is piano some is percussion, some is wind instruments, brass instruments, and so forth. But through the music therapy program, you will take several semesters of guitar class, several semesters of piano, and two semesters of percussion, and then various music classes that train in clinical use of music. So you get a good taste of how to incorporate all those different yes. styles of music. Yeah. What are the demographics of your field? The demographics of our profession is predominantly women. It has been that way for a very long time. However, it slowly over time has shifted a little bit. It's still a higher percentage of women. Right now, as of our 2018 survey, it was 87% women and 11% men. And what about age range? There's quite a quite a big age range. I don't know how many you want me to give you here, but I would say the biggest percentage is 38% of, of the profession is between the ages of 20 and 29. 25% of the profession is between 30 and 39. And then it slowly uh, declines from there. What range of salary can someone expect to make uh, at your position and with your years in the field? So it can vary pretty widely depending on what population music therapist works in. Hospice is not the only population that music therapists serve. We can work in hospital setting with children in schools that have intellectual disabilities, in psychiatric facilities, in uh, substance abuse uh, facilities, as well as with people who struggle with eating disorders and many other situations nursing homes, things like that. Some music therapists are employed by companies that give a salary. Some are contracted and therefore they make their own rate um, and they might not work full time. But just to give you an idea, in every state it varies as well, but the range on a, on a wide spectrum could be anywhere between $20,000 a year up to $90,000 a year. For Texas, it 
usually is between $42,000 a year and up to $70,000 a year. I make about $50,000 a year. That can increase based on further education that you've completed, right. um, such as I completed a, a course that I was able to receive a hospice and palliative care music therapist certification. So that was able to get me a, a pay raise. So you're, you're very specialized in what you do. And yeah, that was another thing. I didn't realize that music therapy, uh, there were so many different areas and populations that they could serve. I've I've heard of a few working in schools and in hospitals. So that's really neat that they're widely used. What benefits would you say come with working in your particular field in hospice? For me, I would say that the benefit is being able to help others through such a unique intervention as music and using it as a tool to guide that emotional expression that I talked about earlier. It's such an intimate time in someone's life between them and their family to be walking at the end of life. And it's not easy to let someone in from the outside. And so many times I've seen my patients and families that maybe some were hesitant at the beginning and after allowing me into their home and allowing me to use music to kind of bridge that gap have opened up. And something I tell my patients all the time is that, you know, they thank me constantly for what I what I'm doing for them, and I find it important to to remind them that they are teaching me so much along the way, just about life, about death, about that journey at the end of our life, and about you know realizing what is important to us and taking the time to learn from others. That's beautifully put. I think a lot of people don't think about that as death being such an intimate moment and just how important it is. You know, everybody only experiences it once. And I think a lot of times we need to think about birth and how big of moments that is. And anytime someone is born and how rarely we let just anybody come in to be part of that. Right. So with death, it's the same thing. So it's a beautiful Mm -hmm. moment. How is your progress measured and who are you managed by? My progress is measured through daily reports and weekly reports. My manager can see how many patients I'm seeing a day, as well as other things that I may be doing, such as bereavement phone calls and any other uh, projects that I'm working on for my patients. But the expectation for my specific role, uh, it's different for every different team member. But for me, I'm expected to see about 20 patients a week. Of course, this is pre-COVID. It's not as many at this current time, but it will tell them how many I'm seeing a day. So it averages, and I would say I I average between 20 to 25 during a normal time. We have a a team of leaders in our office and that consists of a clinical director and an executive director. And I report directly to our clinical director, but our, our leadership is a good team and we communicate with them daily. What are your typical work hours pre-COVID? It's a 40-hour work week, but I am able to make my own schedule. Pre-COVID, whenever we were going into the office regularly, I would say I would only be in the office about two days a week. I would normally start my Monday mornings in the office just so that I could get a grip on my schedule for the week and plan out who I'm going to go visit. And then every other day, I start my day from home, whether I start work on the computer or just heading out to see patients. And We do travel to where patients live. So from my office, we cover a 60-mile radius 
So just depending on how far I have to drive that day, I could see my first patient around nine or 9.30 and see my last patient around three, 3.30, and then use the last hour to two hours of the day to complete documentation. Do you see other music therapists also having a 40-hour work week, ones that work in, you know, different sectors? If they work for a a company uh, like a a hospital or some type of mental health facility, nursing home, or a school, they would most likely be working 40 hours a week. If they are a contracted music therapist, it really just depends on how many patients that they have currently on their caseload. So they may work less hours. Can you walk me through an average day at your job from the time you um, arrive to the office, let's say, to the time that you're done for the day? Yeah. Like I said, I would typically start my day from home and usually aim to see my first patient around 9 or 9.30. So I'd be leaving my house around 8 or 8.30. Um, before that, we always have a what we call our, a stand-up call in the morning where we just get on the phone with our team to go over anything that may have happened overnight with our patients so that we can know what needs to be taken care of that day if there aren't any immediate needs. Once that's done, then I'll head out for the day and I will go see a patient. I take my guitar, so I see my patients and I play music and and use those interventions to help them with pain. Depending on what's going on that day, I may be, my goal for my patient may be pain. And if it is that I'm going to be using the music to alleviate that pain through what we call uh, the ISO principle, adjusting music from a higher tempo to a slower tempo to help bring their pain down with the music. In that instance, the music is a guide to validate with the patient what they're experiencing and to bring their pain to a more tolerable level. I may visit with patients that are struggling with emotional distress and I can use the music to help either guide conversation by choosing songs that relate to what they're experiencing that day and then picking maybe words or phrases out of the song to help them express what they're experiencing. In that same way, they may be needing to express to a loved one what they're feeling as well. And sometimes, you know, our families are very quick to come over and engage in that kind of conversation. And sometimes they may need a little bit of guidance from me and reassurance that it's okay to hold their loved one's hand or it's okay to receive what what their loved one is saying and it's okay to tell them what they need to tell them or what they feel. I typically will spread my visits out throughout the day and I may see two or three patients in the morning before noon and then I will take some time to do documentation either during my lunch hour or in between my patients and then I will see another two or three patients in the afternoon. So it sounds like it's a lot of breaking down walls and just preparing people. So how often do you interact with others, whether it be coworkers or patients, and how much of the day are you by yourself? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it would probably be different for each music therapist in their specific setting. For me, I would say it's about half and half for my day. Half of my day is spent in front of people, mostly my patients. I would say my typical visit is anywhere between 30 minutes and an hour, sometimes a little longer than an hour if there's just more that is needed that day. And then half of that time 
by myself, but it doesn't ever really feel like I'm by myself a lot because it is broken up. Since I'm seeing a patient for 30 minutes to an hour, then I take a little bit of time in my car to do some documentation, go to my next patient. So it doesn't feel like I'm by myself, um, which is good for me because I am an extrovert. (laughs) I enjoy being in front of people and and talking to people. As far as my coworkers, I, I wouldn't say that I interact with them as frequently during the week. Typically, we, I would maybe see them on Monday mornings in the office, and then once a week, we have what is called our interdisciplinary group meeting once a week where we have to review our patients and their care and what they need going forward for the next week. So that would be the one big time a week that I do see all of my coworkers, which is always really nice. We always enjoy that time together because we don't get it as often. What is the best experience that you've had at your job or the best day when you just came home and you just felt so happy and like you had accomplished something? Well, there are so many. (laughs) It's really hard to pick just one just because of what I said earlier, just being able to be around people, as I said, during, during this time and getting to share in the laughter in the tears, you know, it is a hard job and you may be with someone when they're going through a lot of emotions and tears. However, there's always an aspect of joy within those moments. And the, the, the biggest moment that sticks to the top of my head that I probably never forget for the rest of my life actually happened during my internship. I remember it as a day that was a defining day for my career and the day that I knew I wanted to be in hospice specifically. I had been to see my patient and he was the first patient that I received during internship that was truly my patient. My supervisor had never seen him before. He had dementia. I've visited him once a week and he had family, but they weren't able to be as involved as they would like just due to their work schedules and not living in the same town. They, they had to commute about an hour to two hours to see him. And I would go to see him. His favorite music was from the big band era, like Frank Sinatra. And he had a photo on his wall of him and his wife from their wedding day. And I always ask my patients, you know, about their life, about their children. Since he had dementia, he couldn't remember her name, but he would look at the picture of them together and he would just smile because he could remember her and he could remember the memories, but he couldn't remember her name. And I would just encourage him to talk about it as much as he could and to help him to remember as much as he could. And their favorite song was Fly Me to the Moon. That was one of the memories that he could remember. And I would say it had been maybe two, maybe two and a half months that I had been visiting him. And on this particular day, I asked if he wanted to hear Fly Me to the Moon. And he has had a big smile and said yes. And I was singing the song. And as he was listening, he started to cry and he didn't say anything. He just kept crying like a heavy, a heavy cry. And I just kept playing the song, you know, in in those moments, it's just important to fill that space for our patients and to provide them the opportunity to be able to express that emotion and, and not do anything that's going to hinder or, or stop that from coming. And so I, just continued to play the song. I got to the end of the song and I just played the guitar for a little bit. And when I stopped the guitar, he said, I remember her name. And he told me her name. And I had a little tear that came down because how can he not help that? And I just remember feeling so excited 
it's such an experience to have as an intern. It really helps you to feel and to know that you're you're doing it right because <laughs> it can be so hard to know you know during that time am i am i am i doing, doing this right? Am, right I, am i a professional <laughs> can i do this so it was not only reassuring to myself but just more importantly an, an amazing moment to share with one of my patients that's incredible and and like we were talking about just how deeply tied music is to memories and even someone with dementia can go back to their loved one or when we listen to music we can instantly be put back into like high school or our childhood just from listening to one song it's amazing and when you want to when you want to be transported back to that certain time you choose those specific songs that will take you there what a fun experience did you want to share another one I know that you said you had a few Another uh, experience that has always stood out to me from throughout my six years of of doing this, it's one that I I think some people might feel like wouldn't be a good experience because, because it is sad, you know, there is that sadness to it. And I think it just takes such a special person to be able to work in hospice, not just a music therapist, but the nurses, the social workers, our chaplains, anyone. But one day I got a call from this family that I had been seeing for a few months and had become close to. They, they, were, they loved music. It was a big part of their life. They were both singers and had always in, engaged in music together. I had been seeing them weekly and there was a lot of anticipatory grief uh, built up with this couple. They had been married for a very long time. And the wife was struggling, as all my families do, with accepting that their loved one was going to be dying. And he did die um, during the workday, and they needed some support. They lived quite a ways out away from our office, so it was going to take some time for the funeral home to get there. So I went out, as well as a nurse, uh, to the house so that the nurse could assess and help with the final arrangements. And I just stayed with the family. I was there for close to six hours and I just provided emotional support by talking with them. I I took my guitar in so I could use music since it was so important to them. And I just helped to guide conversation and sharing of memories, reminiscing on memories with their loved one. And it was just a beautiful experience in such a sad moment to be able to sit with them and hear their stories and see the smiles on their faces and hear the joy that they were able to share while also feeling the grief of their loved ones passing. I stayed until the funeral home arrived and I've I've done this several times, but this one just felt a little more impactful while the funeral home came in to take the patient's body, I just stood back in the corner of the house and their, the family was very expressive with their emotions, crying and wailing. And I just continued to play the guitar to create an environment, which is what we call environmental music therapy, so that this big, heavy moment would feel a little bit lighter to the family. For a while, I just played the guitar, but after about 10, 15 minutes, uh, closer to when the funeral home was going to be taking his body out of the house, which is often a very hard moment because it makes it real and it makes it permanent, I started to play Amazing Grace. And I just played it in masking with their emotion. So, you know, going with them in my volume of music. So if they were crying quietly, keeping it quiet with them. And then if they were crying louder, increasing that volume just to validate and match 
that I hear them and that I'm here to support them. And it was just such a beautiful moment. And even after the patient's body had left the home, I continued to just stand there and play and provide that environment for maybe another 10 minutes until it felt right to stop playing and, and return back to engaging with them in conversation. You just think about your role and how impactful and how it's going to affect these people forever because they will often look back on this moment and had you not been there, it could have been just a completely different and worse experience and just something that they can kind of look back on and know the feelings that they had and the emotions and you really just kind of turned it into more of a positive, like you said, lighter experience for them. So then what is maybe a hard day you've had or a really big challenge you've had to overcome? Yeah, kind of in the same light of that experience that was such a great experience. Another time that was somewhat similar, I supervise interns as well as do my normal job. And I had an intern that had just started somewhat recently and we were out seeing a patient She had been experiencing some pain, some agitation and restlessness, and I was helping the intern to kind of learn how to navigate through that kind of situation with with the music. And the patient started to become a a little bit more restless and had a little bit more shortness of breath. And just from my experience in the field, I could tell that she was approaching the end of her life. So I stepped out for a second while my intern continued to play music to call our nurse to let them know that they should come to visit the patient. And I came back in and I took back the guitar because that's quite an experience for an intern to experience. Um, it was actually the first time I had experienced it in, in that time. You know, I had, I had visited with the patient just prior to death and I had visited with a family just after death, even though I had been in a field for five years at this time, still hadn't been there when that had actually happened. So I know for an intern, it was very probably very surreal and eye-opening, even though that situation was also a good one in a sense that we were there for the patient and the family in her last moment, her last breath. It was hard for the sense of having to be there for the patient's last breath and, and for a family that was grieving as they held their, their loved one's hand as she took her final breath. But Shortly after, you know, 10 minutes after she'd passed 15 minutes, we always like to create lasting memories. And so we took that opportunity as hard as it was to take some photos with the patient's hand with all of her family members so that it could be printed at a later time and given to them as a memory from that day. Kind of a, a challenging situation, but still good in, in the sense of seeing seeing the love of, of a family for their loved one. I'm sure a lot of people cannot even imagine experiencing something like that. That's that's hard, but beautiful at the same time. Very bittersweet. What is the end goal for someone in your position? Or are there different promotions or positions that you're trying to work towards? How long can something like that take if, if there is one? It's, it's going to be different for every music therapist, depending on, on what they want to do. A lot of times, the next step would probably be going back to get your master's degree, whether it's a master's degree in music therapy alone, or there's a lot of people that go back and get a dual master's in counseling and music therapy, which is something that I considered uh, for a long time. I still consider it sometimes just, you know, 
having having the time to to do that while working and that specifically with the counseling would require an additional internship some some music therapists will progress from a music therapy position to maybe a management position within the company they work for i would say that's probably my next step it wouldn't require me to have any more schooling at this point, although that's something I do want to do in the future. But for me, my next step would be a movement up within my company to be the supervisor of supportive care in general at my site. So not just a supervisor of music therapists, but overseeing patient care for all of our music therapists, all of our chaplains, all of our social workers, and then still carrying a, a minimal caseload and seeing a few patients of, of my own. If you could be doing anything else for a living, money and education were not factors, what would you be doing? Being completely honest, I would want to be a stay-at-home mom. I have a 14-month-old son, and as much as I love my job, I, it's it's heartbreaking <laughs> to leave him every day. And I would just love the opportunity to be able to be home and guide him. I, I already guide him in his early education and development, but just to have that one-on-one -on -one time would be so wonderful. But if I'm thinking outside of that, I would say just something fun because I love cooking. Maybe being a chef or a food blogger would be fun. <laughs> I know that I have taken so many restaurant recommendations from you. You have been like my <laughs> San Antonio foodie, so that you would be great at that. That's all of my questions, but do you feel like there's anything that you want to add or that other people should know? I would just say if you're looking for a career in music, but you don't want to just be strictly in music and you want to be able to help people through any sort of way, music therapy is a great option. That's why I chose it. I always wanted to do something with the singing that I have been doing my entire life, but I didn't want to take the route of vocal performance and I wanted to be in a helping profession. And I just happened to have a, a voice teacher that asked me if I'd heard of music therapy and I said, no, what is that? And uh, once learning about it, felt like it was just the right place for me to be. A big thank you to Caitlin for donating her time to the show. If you or someone you know is interested in becoming a future guest, please email employedpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.